Senate returns today and the House returns tomorrow. The Senate will likely finish its work on Thursday because that's a full work week in the Senate, and the House is scheduled to stay in session through Friday afternoon. Two weeks ago on the House floor, the House returned to work on Monday, May 21st, and took up and passed three bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, May 22nd, the House passed the rule providing for consideration of H.R. 5155, the National Defense Authorization Act, S-204, the Trickett-Wendler-Frank Mongello-Jordan McClinn and Matthew Bellina Right to Try Act, and S-2155, the Economic Growth, Regulatory Relief, and Consumer Protection Act, otherwise known as Dodd-Frank Reform. Then the House voted by 250 to 169 to pass S-204, the Trickett-Wendler-Frank Mongello-Jordan McClinn and Matthew Bellina Right to Try Act, and then the House voted to pass another bill under suspension of the rules. Finally, that Tuesday, the House voted by 258 to 159 to pass the Dodd-Frank reform bill. On Wednesday, the House passed a new rule for consideration of the National Defense Authorization Act and for proceedings during the period from May 25th to June 4th. Then the House took up the NDAA and began considering amendments. The debate stretched over two days. The House adopted three amendments. On Friday, the House took up and passed H.R. 5515, the National Defense Authorization Act. The vote to pass was 351 to 66. This year's National Defense Authorization Act authorized $717 billion in spending. That's broken down into three major areas, $617 billion for the base Pentagon budget, $22 billion for nuclear weapons programs managed by the Department of Energy, and $69 billion to support U.S. war efforts overseas. In addition, the bill authorizes new low-yield submarine-launched nuclear warheads and a 2.6% military pay raise, the largest pay raise in nearly a decade. And then they were done. This week on the House floor, as I said, the House is scheduled to return tomorrow with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House will attempt to take up seven bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House will consider H.R. 3249, the Project Safe Neighborhoods Grant Program Authorization Act of 2017, and H.R. 8, the Water Resources Development Act of 2018. On Thursday, the House is scheduled to take up H.R. 5895, the Energy and Water Legislative Branch and Military Construction and Veterans Affairs Appropriations Act. That's a minibus that combines several different appropriations bills into one larger appropriation bill. As always, additional legislative items are possible. Now to the Senate. Two weeks ago on the Senate floor, the Senate returned to work on Monday, May, 22nd, May 21st, and voted by 49 to 45 to invoke cloture on the nomination of Dana Bayako to be a commissioner of the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Then on Tuesday, May 22nd, the Senate voted by 50 to 45 to confirm her to that position. Later, the Senate voted by 91 to 4 to invoke cloture on the motion to concur in the House Amendment to S-2372, a multi-billion dollar reform of the veterans' health care system that consolidates seven VA department programs into one and makes it much easier for veterans to use their benefits with private doctors outside of the VA system. On Wednesday, May 23rd, the Senate voted by 74 to 23 to confirm Bryant Montgomery to be Assistant Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Then the Senate took up S-2372, the VA healthcare reform bill, and passed it by a vote of 92 to 5. The bill had passed the House the previous week by 347 to 70. President Trump will sign it into law this week. Later Wednesday, the Senate voted by 72 to 25 to invoke cloture on the nomination of Jelena McWilliams to be the chairman of the board of directors of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. 
Then the Senate voted by 73 to 23 to invoke cloture on the nomination of Jelena Williams, McWilliams to be a member of the board of directors of the FDIC. The following day, the Senate voted by 69 to 24 to confirm her as the chairman of the FDIC. Later that Thursday, the Senate voted in back-to-back -back votes to invoke cloture on the nomination and then to confirm the nomination of Randolph Evans to be the ambassador of the United States to Luxembourg. The vote for cloture was 49 to 44, and the vote to confirm was 49 to 43. This week on the Senate floor, they'll return to work today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. on a motion to invoke cloture on the nomination of Robert Earl Weir to be a U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Kentucky. Later, the Senate will take up the nominations of Fernando Rodriguez Jr. to be a U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of Texas and Anne-Marie Carney-Axon to be a U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Alabama. The Senate may also get to its version of the National Defense Authorization Act later in the week. On the agenda, don't be surprised if Senate Majority Leader McConnell announces this week that he plans to cut into the August recess. He issued some not-so-veiled warnings over the Memorial Day recess that he planned to shorten the August recess by at least one or two weeks in a bid to get more legislation considered and more nominations confirmed. On the FBI front, on Tuesday, May 22nd, a group of House Republicans led by Lee Zeldin, Ron DeSantis, Mark Meadows, and Jim Jordan introduced a resolution calling for the appointment of a second special counsel to investigate alleged misconduct at the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. H. Res. 907 is officially entitled, Expressing the Sense of Congress that the Attorney General of the United States should appoint a special counsel to investigate misconduct at the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, including an investigation of abuse of the FISA warrant process, how and why the Hillary Clinton probe ended, and how and why the Donald Trump Russia probe began. The resolution was introduced with 24 original co-sponsors and has since added another five. On the immigration front, as Jenny Beth mentioned, the House Republican leadership has announced it will hold a special two-hour meeting of the House Republican Conference on Thursday, June 7th, to discuss immigration reform. This is an attempt to head off the discharge petition that would force a vote on four separate immigration reform bills under a so-called Queen of the Hill rule where the bill that passes with the most votes, as long as it's got at least majority support, is the bill that is considered to have passed. Republican moderates pushing the discharge petition believe that if they can force their vote, they will have enough support to pass a bill that institutionalizes the DACA program. They say they have enough support to force the discharge petition onto the floor if they want. At least three Democrats have indicated they will not sign the discharge petition, bringing the needed number of Republican signers up from 25 to 28. The 22 Republicans who have signed the discharge petition to this point include Carlos Corbello, Jeff Denham, David Valadeo, Will Hurt, Mario Diaz-Balart, Mia Love, Ileana Ross-Leighton, Charlie Dent, Fred Upton, Dave Reichert, Mike Kaufman, Chris Collins, John Faso, Mark Amadai, Elise Stefanik, Leonard Lance, Ryan Costello, Stephen Knight, John Katko, Dave Trott, Tom Reed, and Brian Fitzpatrick. On the North Korea front, since we last talked, the potential summit meeting between President Trump and North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un has been canceled and then, eight days later, rescheduled for the same date and the same location. On the Russia probe, on Saturday, the New York Times published a piece about a 20-page letter sent by President Trump's lawyer 
to Special Counsel Robert Mueller. The letter, sent in January, asserts that the president cannot be guilty of illegal obstruction of justice because the Constitution gives him the power to, quote, if he wishes, terminate the inquiry or even exercise his power to pardon, end quote. The letter was written by John Dowd and Jay Sekulow. You'll find links to the New York Times article and the letter itself in the suggested reading. The Washington Examiner's Byron York picked up on something in the letter. To wit, Trump's lawyers pointed out in the letter that Trump couldn't be guilty of illegally obstructing the investigation of Michael Flynn when he asked then-FBI Director James Comey to let this go because Trump and the rest of the White House senior staff were under the impression at the time of the conversation that the FBI's interest in Flynn was done and over, and there was no investigation to obstruct. I've included a link to York's piece, too. On the trade front, last Thursday, the Trump administration announced it would impose steep tariffs on steel and aluminum imports from Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. The tariffs will be levied at the rate of 25% and 10% against aluminum imports. Critics of the move made the rather obvious point that Trump was using authority granted to him under a national security provision. But Canada, Mexico, and the European Union are allies and can hardly be said to threaten the national security of the United States. Leaders of the affected countries immediately announced retaliatory tariffs that would be imposed on American exports to their countries. Finally, on the elections front, since we last talked, we've had several primary elections. On Tuesday, May 22nd, Texas held runoffs in several districts where the top two finishers from the first round of the primaries contested for the nomination. Tea Party Patriot Citizens Fund made endorsements in four of those races, in Texas 2, where we endorsed Dan Crenshaw, in Texas 5, where we endorsed Bonnie Pounds, in Texas 21, where we endorsed Chip Roy, and in Texas 27, where we endorsed Michael Cloud. Crenshaw, Roy, and Cloud all won their primary runoffs and will be the Republican nominees for the fall campaign. Those are all considered safe Republican seats, so we may have just helped select three new conservative Republican members of the House of Representatives. On Saturday, June 2nd, the members of Virginia's 5th Congressional District Republican Committee met to select the nominee to replace incumbent Republican Tom Garrett on the ballot. Garrett, a member of the House Freedom Caucus since coming to Congress two years ago, had announced last Monday evening that he would be retiring after this term. Two years ago, we endorsed Michael Del Rosso for the open seat. He came close but fell short at the nominating convention that year. He decided late last week to throw his hat in the ring for this year's nomination, and we surveyed our members and then issued an endorsement before the nominating meeting on Saturday morning. After five hours and four ballots, the members of the 5th Congressional District Republican Committee chose businessman Denver Riggleman as the replacement nominee. Del Rosso made it to the final three candidates and then acted as kingmaker, swinging the majority of his supporters to Riggleman on the final ballot to ensure his nomination. In primary elections that will take place tomorrow, Tea Party Patriot Citizens Fund has endorsed Jay Weber in the open seat contest to replace retiring Republican Congressman Rodney Freelingheisen in New Jersey's 11th Congressional District, Steve King for another term in Iowa's 4th Congressional District, and Matt Rosendale in the contest for the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate seat in Montana, currently held by incumbent Democrat John Tester. As for primaries that will take place next week on June 12th, Tea Party Patriot Citizens Fund has endorsed incumbent Mark Sanford for another term in South Carolina's 1st Congressional District and incumbent Republican Dave Bratt for another term in Virginia's 7th Congressional District. And that's our Washington Report for this week.